This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. Welcome to Write Answers. I am Noah Waspy, and in just a moment, you're going to hear me talking with Beth Reimer as we introduce our guests for today's podcast. But before that, I wanted to just give you a heads up that today we talked to David Tarr, a fourth grade teacher in Lebanon, Ohio, Megan Rodney, an instructional coach with the Ohio Writing Project, and Megan Moore, a high school teacher near Dayton, Ohio. And what did we discuss? What question did we ask them to try to address? Well, you'll find out after you hear Beth Reimer talking about what's coming up at the Ohio Writing Project. Hey, Noah. Thanks for asking, because we have something so cool coming up. This Sunday, OWP is celebrating with NCTE's National Day on Writing and NWP's write out and we're going to meet at Cincinnati Nature Gardens and spend the morning writing. So I'm so excited because it's this whole thing about just writing out in the wild and so even if people listen to this podcast after Sunday and they're not joining us it's something you can do in your backyard and just walk outside and participate in the National Day on Writing and just write. That's fantastic. So um, if people want to, you know, keep in touch and, and find out about other things that are coming up when, before this podcast, before other podcast episodes come out, um, how can they keep tabs on what's going on with OWP? So you can always find us on Twitter at, at OWPMU, and you can just Google us, Ohio Writing Project, Miami University, and we'll pop right up, and then you'll see all of our events. Perfect. And we'll link all that in the bio for this episode. Um, so Beth, what are you writing about? So I currently am writing two things. One, my mom and dad had some surgery this summer. And so I'm trying to capture some moments, you know, some family reflection moments. And then the other thing I'm writing is I'm trying to write up some of the classroom practices and strategies that Ohio Writing Project shares, because teachers are asking a lot for those kind of things written up. And so we're trying to take the time to, to do that. That's fantastic. What about um, you? What are you writing? I'm, we're, we're doing an argument. Um, I mean, we do argument all year round, just like yeah. we learned at OWP, I promise. But uh, we're, <laughs> really started, we're just starting to really dig into argument writing. So I've started trying to put together some good arguments in my notebook. And I'm writing about why greyhounds are the most superior of all dogs that you could have in your home. I mean, and unless I know you're, it's really controversial. Unless you're talking about cats, because. Well, yeah, good point. <laughs> and it's 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 good. I think it's a good argument because it's so controversial. So anyway, that's what I'm writing. About. I got a poem. Yes, want to hear? Share your poem. <laughs> so uh, last summer, a couple summers ago, I was in a workshop with you and with uh, Elizabeth Ferris, and you mm -hmm. guys were talking about putting poetry all around the room and having students write poems. So I had a mentor text poem that I shared with my students and with myself. And here it is, it's called Safety Pin. It's by Valerie Worth. 
Closed, it sleeps on its side, quietly, the silver image of some small fish. Opened, it snaps, its tail out like a thin shrimp, and looks at the sharp point with a surprised eye. That's my poem for today. Nice. And so you wrote one yourself after Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I wrote one about the clock, and then some students wrote some about the unicorns and about the trash can, about the floor, you know, all the stuff that's in the room they wrote about. Yeah, I want to read every one of them. That's awesome. Um, and that's Megan, awesome. one of Megan Rodney's favorite poets right there. Nice. Great. And she's one of our guests for today. So speaking <laughs> of our guests, let's talk about the question that led to our three panelists for today. Beth, how did we come up, how did you come up with this question? How did you find this question that we wanted to address? Yeah, so this whole idea of this podcast right now was this idea that people, we are always asking questions as teachers, and then the, one of the cool things about a writing project is just getting people in the room and trying to answer it. There's never one answer, but we all try to figure it out. So one of the questions OWP gets all the time is, how do you plan? Like, how do you make decisions about what to put in your year, in your week, in your day, for your readers and writers, because it never seems like there's enough time. It seems like there's so many possibilities, so many standards, requirements, expectations, needs, and how do you just make decisions about get, fitting it all in? So here's what happened, for real. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in a professional development and two first year teachers stopped and chatted afterwards. And they're smart, they asked great questions, they were, thinking and writing the whole day. I would have loved to spend another day with them. And they asked this question at the end that was exactly the way that a first year teacher feels and a teacher in 20 years feels. And it was, how, are, how do we make decisions? We know we want our readers and writers to do things. We know we want to implement some of these practices we just saw today, but it feels like we just keep running out of time. We don't know how to plan our year. We don't know how to plan our next unit. And so the question was kind of two levels, right? It was literally planning. How do you organize a year or a unit or a month or a week or a day? But it was also that question underneath. As teachers, how do we decide what to put in our classroom and what not to spend time on when we're thinking about our readers and writers? What a huge question, right? I know. <laughs> I so, love it though. So the question was so big, we needed three people to answer yeah, it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> So let's talk about why uh, David Tarr, Megan Moore, and Megan Rodney are the ideal people to answer these questions. Um, why did Megan Rodney come to mind for you, Beth? So Megan Rodney is a, one of those teachers who is intentional about all of the choices that she makes in her classroom. And every time I talk to her, there's a, like a reason behind her decisions. And it blows my mind. Um, because it's natural, but it's so intentional. And so I get to work with her because she is the Ohio Writing Project Elementary Lead Consultant for Professional Development and Learning. And she sits behind, beside teachers and helps them plan, plan years, plan units, plan days, plan lessons. And so she spends a lot of time really thinking about what it means to make decisions for students. Yeah, and I thought of Megan Moore and David Tarr because I've taken a class from them before. It was a class, I think it was on one of Jeff Anderson's books, and I can't remember was it if it was Revision Decisions or one of the other ones. It was Mechanically Inclined. Mechanically Inclined. 
And it, was, it wasn't even a class, I think it was just like one of the OWP fall conference sessions, actually. They taught a full class on it. And in their session, I just was blown away by how they're not just using strategies. They're not just using cool strategies. You're, they're planning out their week and their day, their year, so that really smart strategies are used throughout the day and there's some continuity. Um, and then they're really intentionally building on things. So I, I can't wait to talk to them about their process and about uh, what goes into their plans. Yeah, I bet you'll be blown away since you only spent one um, like session once you hear all of their stuff because uh, yeah. when we share their thinking in PD or with other teachers, I mean, it's one of the things that always, always um, draws teachers in in terms of like, that's an answer I've been looking for. So I'm really excited to hear the three of these teachers give us right answers. All right, so let's throw it to our, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Okay. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's start our interview now. Now, a note to the listener, we are recording with Zoom and we're trying to mute ourselves and we are going to forget to unmute ourselves at some point. And we'll, your, listeners, you're just gonna have to deal with that. I'm sorry, we'll do our best. All right, so, so let's jump in. Uh, let's start with Megan Rodney. Um, Megan, can you tell us about just some of your, like if a teacher asked you a question like, how do you how do you plan all this stuff? How do you fit it all in? Where would you start with a teacher? So I think I have to start first by knowing what the structure of their day is and how much time they allow. Um, because especially at the elementary level, we're dealing with teachers who might be self-contained versus those that might be departmentalized. So we need to start there with their time allowances. Um, and then we need to start with um, curriculum, what curriculum they might have or not. Um, in terms of what the district is mandating or not. Um, I need to know those two things first. Those are key. And then um, what I like to do pedagogically and like philosophically is use something that Beth Reimer actually um, showed me, which is um, Stacy Schubitz, um, who did um, crap, I believe craft moves. Um, she wrote a tweet one time about her core beliefs. And that was, has been an excellent mentor for me because I think once we can define our own core beliefs, it helps us to make key decisions and to really understand what we prioritize above other things um, in terms of what we wanna spend time on in our classrooms. Um, and I think that's where we have to start. We can't make decisions until we know exactly where we stand and what we see as a priority in terms of literacy, reading, writing, um, other parts of that literacy work if you're in elementary, phonics, um, word work, those kinds of things. So that's generally where I start is both like the structural part of their day and the expectations from their district, and then pedagogically, their, their core beliefs around teaching, reading, and writing. I think that's um, really smart. And I remember seeing Penny Kittle tweeting something like this recently, where she just spends a lot of time focusing on what she believes before she makes plans. And I think that's something that's easy to get lost when you're just thinking about how to fill your time, how you're going to make sure students learn. It's easy to get lost in uh, what you actually believe is important. So once you get with a teacher on like their core beliefs, let's say it's a blank slate. Like if, it, if a teacher, if a school has like a set curriculum, you, you're just trying to shoehorn good ideas in between, I imagine, right? Yeah. So, so let's say- Oh, go ahead. I wanna hear about what you were, I wanna hear what you were gonna say. I was just gonna say you're right. Like, especially in when you alluded to this earlier when you're introducing things that oftentimes we have, we get great ideas in OWP sessions that we're not sure where it all fits. So we have to look at like big picture and then small picture as well. 
and um, think clearly about the strategies we have and whether these are strategies that invite students to write in a low stakes way to build fluency, stamina, flexibility, motivation around writing, or if this strategy or idea helps students lead, lend themselves to a larger writing idea or piece. And so um, I try to draw a balance between these low stakes writing opportunities that can be done daily, right? Like maybe at the beginning of a writing workshop block if you're self-contained or at the beginning of a class period if you're departmentalized versus these larger ideas that might lead to a mini unit or a larger unit around a skill, a process, or a genre um, in terms of writing. So then we break down that balance. So um, we're going to throw out to Megan Moore and David Tarr in just a second, but I want to ask you one more question, Megan Rodney. Um, let's say it were October 17th at this point in the year and you were doing some PD work with some teachers and they just came up to you and asked you, all right, I have a blank slate. I don't have a set curriculum mm -hmm. and I want to start using more of a, a writing workshop model in my classroom. Um, where would you start with that kind of teacher? After they have, the, after doing their core beliefs, where would you start? Um, so I think I would start with looking, helping, one of my favorite things to do actually that I've been really successful with in professional development is helping uh, teachers examine their standards um, and to um, sort their standards into different categories. I got this idea from Pam Allen who wrote a series called The Complete Year in Reading and Writing and it's how she breaks down her units. Um, so we break the standards into four categories, um, process, genre, skill, and strategy. And we look at where the balance of their standards fall. And you'll be really interested to see like kindergarten versus second grade where the balance of standards falls. And it's really eye-opening for teachers to see where their units really should center around what the balance of time should be. Um, and so we take those standards and then we build units that um, those standards can support. And um, we often do it through this, which this is an idea from um, Matt Glover um, an idea around like mini units versus major units. And I like to structure my year with mini units as a bridge between major units mm -hmm. where I can either reteach or front load, depending on what my students need. Oh, that's such a good, I wish I would, I'm so glad that you told me this. I feel like I'm that teacher that just asked you that question and came <laughs> away with having that mini unit to, is like a buffer and that's really great. All right, so Megan, Rodney, we're gonna come back to you in just a minute, but Megan Moore, I had a question that I wanted to, ask you and then David if you want to add on to what she says after she makes her comment that would be awesome. Uh, Megan Moore, you do a lot of, I've gotten the impression that you do a lot of work to really be intentional with how you set up your school day and how you plan out um, the sequence of your instructional students. When you're sitting down like at, at the end of summer or maybe whenever it is that you do your planning for the school year, maybe you're not a procrastinator like me, um, what does it look like for how, like when you're trying to decide how to set up your school day and how you're trying to set up a unit? So I often think about the type of writer I want my students to be at the end of the school year, which for us is the end of May or the first week of June. So I kind of think about the type of skills that I would like to see in a piece of writing. Um, and those skills that I think about are obviously curriculum-based um, or standard-based, but also just like what we know is true about good writing. Um, and I kind of dial back from there. So um, everything, I tend to think about things in layers. So I work back from May and I think like, where should, where should we be by April and where should we be by March and move in that direction? Um, you know, since, since I teach at a high school, we have 50 minutes with our students every day. Um, and I find that that's decently standard. 
um, for most high school English teachers. And so if I think that I want my, my students to know um, grammar and craft um, and like organization lessons, I try to find a moment to talk about each of those things um, every day. Um, we're not talking about all of them every day for an extended amount of time, but we might have five to seven minutes that we do some grammar work and then five to seven minutes where we're maybe taking that grammar work and adding some sort of creative writing strategy to it to make our writing sing or have voice. And then um, we might be talking about how we can apply that skill somewhere in our writing um, and at the right point to do that. So everything just kind of happens in, in layers. It sounds like you start with like a backward by design, like you start with the end in mind. Exactly. Um, and that's and the key? Yeah, and sometimes I have to remind myself like it's the first time my sophomore writers have been 10th graders, you know, having been an English teacher for a number of years, I, you know, it's my 12th year in, in sophomore, in sophomore English and it's their first time. And so we have to, I just have to remind myself that everything is new to them. And if I haven't taught it to them, I shouldn't expect them to be able to do it. David, how do you plan out your, how do you figure out how you're going to plan out your year when you're first starting? Uh, I think it's always different for me based on every year. I always start the year in the exact same spot, but then after that spot, I take off in different directions. But where I always like to start is just showing them really quickly what, what writing is going to look like in my room. And uh, Megan Rodney was talking about those mini units, and those have become key in my classroom. And for me, it all started at a PD with Bath, of course. And she taught us a quick one day writing unit. And we looked at a kid president video and we analyzed it and then we created our own. And in just this brief amount of time, she took us through the whole writing process. And the idea just completely blew my mind. I remembered these huge units I had when I was a first year teacher, even a 10th year teacher that just, <laughs> bogged me down and this idea of jumping into the writing process and getting through it in a day just completely changed how I taught so right in the beginning of the year I like to get in and out of the writing process the complete process as quickly as possible so they have this idea of what writing is going to look like for me throughout the whole year and then later as they become very familiar with that writing process and what to expect then I can expand it but even when I expand it, all those things that I do in a one-day unit or in a three-day unit or a five-day unit, they're going to be present in those longer units. So what, like, uh, I, I just love, there's so many things that you're saying right now. And I, I, I'm picturing myself in one of your sessions where the first time that we, that you, like the first thing you had us do was write. And then the second thing you had us do was write more. So when you say like what writing looks like in my room, are you trying to, are you getting, what kind of message are you trying to get across to kids about what writing looks like in your room? Is it matching up with what I'm saying? I, I well, I'm not hundred percent sure, but for me, what I'm trying to show them is that it's always going to be similar, that we're going to find a text and we're going to look at that text and we're going to notice things. And then from there, after that noticing, we're going to experiment. And at that time, that's where a mini lesson might slide in. And then from that experimentation, we're going to work with what we started with. And that's where my revision moves might come in. And then 
after all that, we are going to create something and share it with the world. And whether that happens in one day or three weeks, it doesn't really matter to me. It's always going to be there. So my first writing unit is just one day. We're just going to really quick, you know, look at a mentor text, notice things about it, and then we're just going to create it. And I just like this idea of showing them how powerful that is. And we're through it in a day and they have this amazing feeling like, oh, I think I can do what he's asking me to do. And then we'll grow it a little bit more and grow it a little bit more. And that's why I like those, you know, Megan Rodney talked about those low stakes. So I like to keep it really low stakes at the beginning of the year because I think, you know, I'm dealing with fourth graders and I think already by that time, a lot of them have a negative viewpoint about themselves as writers. So I think it's just boosting that confidence and showing them it's gonna be different. We're gonna find something we really like, notice it and try it and then present it. So Megan Moore just typed something interesting in the chat, chat box. Was it Megan Moore who typed that in? Okay, Megan, you wanna, you wanna say what you're gonna say? So what I loved is that when David was talking, um, Megan Rodney and myself, we were all, we were both vigorously nodding our heads because whether it's a second grade classroom or a senior classroom, the process is the exact same. We have students produce a small piece of writing. It's very low stakes because it's, it's not collected. It's not graded. It's just a piece of writing. We show them a mentor text that has a skill that we want them to notice. They notice it. And then we talk about how to apply that skill to our writing and we give them time to practice it and give them feedback in that moment when they're practicing because it's that, that beautiful and all important low stakes moment. Most kids will try something if they don't think they're going to get it wrong or be in trouble for, for doing it wrong or get a bad grade. They're, they're pretty fearless in that way. And that's something that shocks me every day um, when I'm at work. So um, it's just the process is the same no matter the grade level or the skill level or really I'd even argue for the most part the kid. And I, I was vigorously nodding for all of those same reasons. And then also because of the order in which David said he does things, which Megan just restated and I think is beautiful. And, um, and I want to point out something really smart that David said was that it actually doesn't matter if he does that in a day or in three weeks, because that the same steps of that process will be there. And I think for me, that is some, a shift that occurred for me that I don't need to have a quarter's worth of work around narrative for multiple reasons. One, if I only do narrative for one quarter, my writers only experience it one time in the year, they're never gonna get better at it. So I need to give them lots of opportunities to get better at narrative. So a shift for me that I learned from Matt Glover um, is to plan in smaller cycles of writing across the year. I also learned it from OWP's work with the C3WP, which is argument writing. Um, from fourth grade through 12th grade, and it's small cycles of building skills across the year. And if I were in a classroom right now, I would break apart all of the larger units that I used to teach in that might have been five or six weeks long, and I would scaffold and layer the learning. I might take apart the standards and say, what part of this narrative standard looks good for the beginning of the year? And I might do a week or two around that in a mini unit. I'd go on to something else and I'd come back to it. And I would cycle through my year in mini units that were anywhere from a day to two weeks, maybe even three weeks, which is getting into that larger unit territory-ish. 
but I would do my planning in smaller cycles so that I would give kids lots of opportunities to see all kinds of different genres as writers and to build their skills across the year. So I really appreciated what David said about Megan, that. Just to Megan, add on to that, I, yeah, don't think it, I don't think it's just selling them different genres. I think one of the greatest things that has come with these different types of writing is, is now a narrative can look so different. And I love, you know, just blowing someone's mind and saying, oh, our writing can look very small, it can look big, it can be infographic-like, it can be, and I just love that there's just a tweet that someone put out about just the misconception of writing has to look a certain way. And I think in the modern world with technology, and I think a lot of our kids will gravitate to some of those choices of writing looking different and it, and it adds to that belief that I think everyone here has about choice. That it's not just the choice of topic, but it, now it becomes these choices of ways that I can write. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's not even talk about the fact that narrative writing in many schools is not even being taught because it's not always tested. But what Dave, what you're saying, I think is really important because narrative shows up in so many different kinds of writing. It shows up in art and really good arguments. Um, but I wanted to circle back to Megan Rodney, something that you said about shriek, shrinking the units. I think, do you run in, now's a good time to point out, we have an elementary school teacher with Dave Tarr, we have a high school teacher with Megan Moore, and we have an instructional coach with Megan Rodney. So every listener is going to get something they want out of this conversation. Uh, Megan Rodney, what, do you run into, is that a big paradigm shift for a lot of teachers? And if, if it is, I'm imagining some listeners might, this might be a big paradigm shift to them. How do you explain, can you just say a little bit more about how you would explain that to a teacher who's like, how can I stop teaching my nine week unit? So I do think it's a huge paradigm shift because a lot of teachers, unfortunately, due to testing culture have been programmatized and they've been given basils and other boxed writing curriculum, which we know doesn't work because it does, it's not real life writing, which is what we want to present to students. So we talk about that, that, you know, these nine week units or even six or seven or eight week units, it's like if you only ever tried to ride a bike for six weeks, one time a year, and you're a seven year old, and then you don't get to do it, let's say your third grade teacher does it in January, and you did it in November of, of second grade, there is no way you're going to get good at that type of writing when you're only seeing it once every 300 some odd days. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about it like that and put it into real life perspective about how we need practice over and over and over again with anything we want to get good at, I think it helps them to envision writing as something like that, that it's another skill we need to practice over and over and over again to get good at. So it's first just shifting the perspective and then it's looking at, well, like, let's take this unit that you already have. Like, let's say you like love this animal report unit, right? But it's the only time kids see informational writing. What are the parts and pieces of that that we can break apart and pull out? And how can we then scaffold that across the year? Because, you know, research is always panic inducing and makes teachers want to pull out their hair, I think, you no, know, regardless of the age. Um, so do we need to research at the beginning of the year? Could we do an infographic? Like David mentioned an infographic. I love presenting the idea of smaller types of nonfiction writing that can then grow to a larger piece because that expert topic about like soccer that they might do an infographic about could then become a larger piece later on in the year. So we can continue to come back to what they've already done as writers, which leads to less management on our part because the kids already have something that they've done that we can then grow 
to a larger piece um, as we continue to scaffold and layer their skills. I see that Megan Moore wants to add something. Yeah, and I think what Megan Rodney is saying is so important because if we only teach research or another you know, form of writing once a year, that student has to show mastery of maybe 10 skills and that's overwhelming where if we do it in small doses the first time they might only have to work on three and then the next time we build and maybe we add in three more that they haven't learned before but they've already seen and tried their hand at and gotten multiple forms of feedback on those first three so by the end of the year yes we've achieved that that research unit but we've just done it in small doses like in first quarter and second quarter and it and it builds and it sticks a little bit better for students. So I think we're hitting on something that I hope that lots of teachers are picking up on that when you shrink down the units, kids have more opportunities to write more papers and in more ways get more practice. I think it's also probably easier to plan. So if a teacher's struggling to figure out how to plan, smaller units, it makes it a lot easier. You don't have to plan as much for that unit. Um, I one think thing, go ahead, Dave. One thing I think is we're by making these units smaller, we're trying to get into the writing process more. And one thing that's really lucky for me as an elementary teacher is that I also have the advantage of teaching social studies. And just recently in the last few years, I've really tried to up the amount of historical narratives we're going to write or the amount of persuasive writing we're going to be doing in social studies. And I think the more opportunities that we have to take students in and out of the writing process can be expanded when we think about writing and reading, when we think about writing and social studies, when we think about writing and science. I mean, I think most people who are familiar with the, uh, with the writing project, they know about the I Am From poems. And when we presented them early this year, for some reason I had my students do an I Am From poem from the perspective of the main character of our read aloud book. And they were fabulous. And it was just an extra chance for them to practice this thing but we were in reading time, not writing time. So you're hitting on something that I wanted to get to next. Um, many units uh, writing in different areas of the curriculum. These are two ways where, you, where teachers can start trying to fit in all the stuff that we have to fit in. I want, I'm interested if you guys have any other ideas on how to fit in all the stuff that we have to fit in. What are some things you do? Um, Megan, I know you already started talking a little bit about trimming, uh, arranging the, the standards. Um, is that a good place to start for you, Megan Rodney? Um, I definitely think it's one of the places because that is gonna shift like your intention and maybe your thinking around um, how to arrange units across the year. But I also think two teachers, when they say how do they to fit it all in, they probably also mean within the day or like the week, like logistically speaking. Um, and so, if that if it's okay, I, we'll probably talk about that a little bit. Um, so I think um, if you're self-contained or departmentalized, you you have a block of time, right? Um, and so for elementary teachers in particular, we talk about starting our writing time prior to a mini lesson with some kind of low stakes writing. Um, whether it's if you're using a notebook, notebook time. Uh, maybe it's a shared writing if you're K2, right? Some kind of low stakes writing where kids are building stamina, fluency, flexibility, or having ownership over their writing. And that might be five-ish minutes. And then going into your mini lesson time, which roughly 10 minutes-ish, depending. And then that independent block of time, which I always, I don't remember where I got this from, so I apologize to the writing guru that shared this with me, that kids should be writing double the amount of time you spend talking. 
So if you spend 10 minutes in your mini lesson, they need about 20 of independent work time and then sharing. And if you're departmentalized, it's really hard if you have 50 minutes to fit in reading and writing. And if you're in an elementary um, classroom doing like word work things too. So I often talk with teachers that I'm coaching about planning in two week blocks. Um, and that if you have, let's consider like a day is like, like the letter A um, is your intensive writing day. And then like letter B day might be your intensive reading day that you could alternate those A, B, A, B, A, B across two weeks and you would have five and five. Or if you're in the middle of a unit, because writers are readers and vice versa, then you might do AAA for four days and then BBB. But over time, like let's not look at it just day by day. Let's look at what we're doing over time. And that can really show us that we actually are balancing out um, if we can look at it in larger blocks, like a two-week block. Megan Moore, did you want to add on? Yeah, so um, because I'm a high school English teacher, I teach both, you know, reading and literature and writing. And so um, what really helps me when I'm thinking about planning is I tend to, to think of everything in two to three week chunks. So I might have a reading chunk for about three weeks, and then I might have a writing chunk for two or three weeks, and then a reading chunk for two to three weeks. And we just alternate those back and forth. Um, I found that worked best when I was planning um, for myself and for my room and for my students. Um, and, you know, I switched to that maybe seven or eight years ago, and I still haven't strayed for it just because it, 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 it works for me. Um, and I believe it's Donovan Miller um, who has this beautiful quote where she says, reading is the inhale and writing is the exhale. Mm -hmm. And by, by kind of flipping back and forth between um, the two subjects that we get to teach, um, I feel like my students make that connection a little bit more. We might notice a really beautiful way that Harper Lee crafts a sentence. And then we then talk about like, hey, do we remember that awesome sentence? How can we write things like that when we're working in a writing unit? Dave, what about you? What are some things that you do to make sure that you can fit in all the stuff that you're required to get in? I really liked what Megan Rodney was saying about these almost waves where I'll be a little reading heavy and then later in the week I'm a little more writing heavy, uh, especially as I've got into these mini units. That has become so much easier to manage where I can definitely feel okay i've been a little reading heavy so now here comes the writing and i can just boost it up so i, I love that idea of this ebb and flow there is between the two and making sure that no matter what that both are going to get equal time um one of the biggest things for me about this whole fitting it in is it and we talked about it earlier it comes back to those core beliefs no matter what every decision that i have to make needs to fit with those core beliefs and so, you know, we talked about that quickly, but when I'm deciding if something is going to fit into my unit, if it doesn't fit with those core beliefs, it's just not going to make it in. So we're talking about big picture right now, and I think that's probably the most important thing. But the question we would probably get most often from a teacher is, I only have 45 minutes and I have to teach reading and writing, or 60 minutes and I have to teach reading or writing. How can... Um, we, we, I think we're starting to talk about this a little bit. Um, who would like to chime in about what you can do to structure your day so that you can fit the things in that you want to do during the day? Obviously, I think like Dave and Megan and Megan are all saying it, it starts with the core beliefs. So once you have those beliefs in place, how do you structure your day around those so that you can get it in, even though you have this many minutes to teach? Um, I think 
this goes for departmentalized or self-contained because it's still a certain block of time. Um, I, I, I encourage or invite teachers to leave themselves like maybe that first five to seven minutes so that they can open that up, whether it's a notebook time, like a low stakes quick writing, or it's grammar, or it's um, maybe word work or something like that. They are giving themselves flexibility at the beginning of their period to work on some of those things that maybe don't seem like they fit as naturally or as easily, but that if we start class that way, we can then fold it into or layer it into what's happening that day or in um, future days. And then whether you're teaching reading or writing, for me, my belief is that the structure doesn't change. I have a mini lesson of some sort. Um, we have independent time, whether it's reading or writing, and then we have that share time at the end. And during the reading or writing independent time, I'm conferring or pulling small groups. So regardless of whether it's a reading or writing heavy day, my structure stays the same, which is beneficial for students. We know how much they thrive on routine, but it's also beneficial for me. It's, it's less planning. I actually know exactly how my day is laid out, and I need to find the parts and pieces that fit with what we're doing and what students are showing me they need that during that time frame. It's kind of like the structure sets you free, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I think I heard that from Lucy Calkins. You heard it from someone else. Uh, Dave Tarr, what do you want to what do you want to say about that? I love that. I'd never heard that line. The structure sets you free. I think in life, outside of teaching, I am the most unstructured person <laughs> in the world. And but in the classroom, you're right. The structure sets me free. I know exactly where I need to go. I know where every unit needs to go because everything just follows this structure and it makes it, like you said, so much easier to do my work. Um, yeah, sorry. No, no, Dave, can I, can I follow up with you? Um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what is like a structure that you have going on right now with your writing instruction? Like the first five minutes, the next 10 minutes, do you have something like that going currently? Uh, not so much in writing right now, uh, but the structure for me right now is we are working on creating a picture book and they're also at the, in, at the same time working on a historical narrative. And so each day we always start with that mini lesson that I really think is going to advance their picture book because we, we've been studying and I've been looking at the drafts if they've been coming in. So, so for example, today, we just quickly read a picture book by the same author that we had been looking at found this one sentence that we really wanted to develop. Uh, I showed them an example of how I had used it in my picture book that I'm creating along with them. And then I challenged them to go do that little bit of writing. And then we headed straight over to the rocking chair so they could share. And it was quick. Uh, and that was because this was more of a reading heavy day for me. And it was all still there though. I showed them an amazing piece of literature. They talked about what they noticed. After a little bit of help, they found exactly where I wanted, what I wanted them to find. They saw my example, and then they just got to experiment with it on their own. So that's what the last few days have looked like, just looking at little pieces of the writing, experimenting, and then sharing. Awesome. Megan Moore, what about you? What kinds of structures do you use to make sure that it all fits in? Yeah, so I love that David said that outside of school, he might be the most disorganized person because I thrive on organization and it couldn't, I couldn't exist without it in any form of my life. Um, and so I teach on a 50 minute, you know, on, on a 50 minute period schedule. Um, and one thing that I love about the routine my students and I have set up is it actually saves me so much time, but because 
because we do the same basic schedule every day in um, my classroom, they know what's coming next and a lot of them set themselves up for it. So we start our day by reading a poem every day and then we move to independent reading. And as soon as the poem is done, I don't even have to tell them to get their books out because they're already doing it. Um, I love what David and Megan said too about this idea that every day has a mini lesson involved, whether it's a reading day and a, or a writing day, or every day I'm modeling my thinking and my writing with my students, no matter what type of, type of day it is. Um, and so even though the focus of the day in terms of reading or writing may switch, our routines stay the same. Um, and it does, it makes it a hundred times easier for you to plan because you, you know what needs to go into each, each slot in your day. That's perfect. And I also want to just take a second to mention that this is my opinion. I don't know if you guys agree with this. I think it's really important to set a hard out date on our units. I know I'm zooming back out from micro to macro. You got to set a hard out date on your units so that they don't drift because half the time the reason we can't fit it all in is because a unit went too long because we didn't have a hard out. Um, so I just wanted to throw that suggestion onto the pile. <laughs> all right. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about when it comes to fitting it all in and planning things so that you can teach what's important before we move to our final five? I'll take that silence. Oh, Dave, are you about to say something? You're muted. I was saying I was good. That was a thumbs up right. from good. Okay. All right, you're all good. And listeners can just deal with that awkward silence. Everyone will be fine. Um, <laughs> so let's move into our final five questions. Oh, Beth. Her mute. She's muted. <laughs> Wait, I just have one more question. So I was just thinking about these two teachers that asked me that question, a first year teacher. I'm just curious, what would you tell a first year teacher? Ooh, let's go, let's go around the horn with that one. We'll start with Megan Moore, then we'll go Dave Tarr, and then we'll end with Megan Rodney. Megan Moore, why don't you go first? What would you tell a first year teacher? I would tell a first year teacher to pick the thing you love most about reading and writing, or writing especially, since it's the Ohio Writing Project. What's your passion in writing? What do you want your students to take away? It kind of is that core belief that we've been talking about. And find five minutes every day for that to happen. So if, if, if grammar is what makes your little soul on fire, then you find five minutes every day to show your students something really cool about grammar and a moment for them to do it too. It's like self-care almost. Yeah, almost. And you know, we know that as teachers, our passion is infectious. If we believe in it, our students believe in it too. Um, so that's what I would suggest. Right on. Dave, what about you? Um, so I would tell a first year teacher to fill up their strategy box. Uh, we're, we're talking about this structure, but one of the things that OWP has brought to me is there are this countless number of strategies that I can go to the bag and pull out and they fit in those structures. Um, those strategies, if you looked at my lesson plan, it's just dripping with OWP things I've stolen, things I've stolen from both Megan's, things I've stolen from books. Just fill your strategies because you just feel so much more confident when you have these different directions where you want to go. I'm very structured, but a lot of times I'm flying uh, by what was the kids are going to notice that day. So being able to do that, I have to have these strategies that I can fall back on when we find the direction of the lesson that day. So being able to have those, like all of those different things ready so that when um, something unexpected happens or when the learning is like the moment is right, you can pull that out. Yeah. 
That's brilliant. Uh, Megan Rodney, what about you? What would you tell a first year teacher? So I would tell them to start small um, and kind of along the lines of what Megan Moore said, like if writing is truly their passion and they feel comfortable there, I'd say pick that thing to work on. But if they feel more comfortable with reading, let's start there because like we said earlier, the structure is the same. And if they can build up their confidence as a teacher of reading, then next year, they can try some of those same things out as a teacher of writing because we know as teachers, we can only pick up and try on one really big thing. So start small, pick one thing, and then just like do it for a day. Experiment with that structure we've all talked about, about mini lesson, independent time and sharing for one day and see how it goes and start small mini units, right? Like what David was saying, start with a day or a week and just start small and build your confidence from there and see how it goes, play around with it, see what happens and then grow your skills um, from there. So my advice yeah. would be to start small. That's great. So just like with the school year, you can't fit all of it into one podcast. We might have to do a sequel someday. So <laughs> it's time for us to move into the final five because even though it's light out here in Laramie, Wyoming, I think it's starting to get dark over where you guys are in Ohio. Um, all right, first question, we'll go around the horn, starting with Megan Rodney this time. Um, what are your perfect conditions for writing? And you could answer this either for yourself as a writer or for your classroom, either um, one. Okay, so um, myself as a writer, um, I'm pretty much the same in the classroom too. So I'll just kind of say it goes for both. Um, I'm very old school. I need a notebook and a pen and it can only be a blue pen. Um, and I really thrive on a mentor or a prompt where I can write in the style of, or I can try something out. I often need something to get me going. Um, and so I really understand students who say, I don't know what to write about. So, um, I know for me that that's my perfect condition, a notebook, a blue pen, and something to get me started. All right. Uh, Megan Moore, how about you? All right. Um, just like Megan Rodney said, um, I need a notebook. I actually hate um, typing on a laptop when I'm starting to write anything because I find myself like getting distracted or like when I stop typing, I like get nervous or something. Um, and I love having a notebook um, that I've been able to find somewhere cool in the world. Um, and I also have a very specific writing utensil request. Um, Although the Ohio Writing Project has the greatest pencils known to man, I am a pen girl all the way. It's, I just think they glide better across the paper. Like it's, a, it's a very tactile experience for me, the, the experience of writing. Um, I know some people always like need quiet when they're writing. Um, I don't necessarily um, need quiet. I just need like the right moment to get in the right headspace, which is so nebulous. That doesn't, <laughs> doesn't always transfer well, um, but that's sort of what it looks like for me. That's really great. And we're going to get to specific writing utensils momentarily. Uh, Dave, what are your conditions for writing? I need routine. And what I mean by that is I do really well when the four week happened and we were just writing every single day. That's when things really started to click for me. And in the classroom, when, when summertime, it's not as easy. But when we're in the classroom and I write every day with my kids, it just starts to flow. And the time comes, I don't care if it's quiet or loud or if I'm sitting on the floor, pencil or pen. If, we're, if we've been going for a long time, it just seems to naturally come. It's so funny you say that. Uh, last summer, I was talking with some kids at the, youth, the OWP Youth Writing Camp. And I was talking about like, you know, sometimes I'm just not feeling it too. And Beth comes up behind me. She's like, well, it's probably just because you don't have a routine. If you wrote every day and she just went off on exactly what you just said. <laughs> I felt like an idiot in front of those kids though. <laughs> um, 
All right, so let's go to Megan Moore. Uh, when it comes to pens, I guess, what is your pen of choice? Man, it's a big, it's a, I feel like I'm bearing my soul here right now. Um, I am a Pilot G2 purple pen gal all the way. Um, I've, I've tried other pens and they're just, they're just not meant for me. I know the, the Sharpie brand has the Sharpie finds, um, which I was intrigued by, but I went back to Old Faithful. <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually make the joke at school. I keep a bunch of G2s in my classroom for kids to use. They are the Cadillac of pens, for sure. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Dave, what about you? What do you write with? So this has just changed in the last year. I used to be a huge Pilot fan, uh, but being the most unorganized person in the world, I often lose my pens. And so I started to steal pens from my intervention specialist and my aide, and my aide was using Ink Joys, and I just fell in love with them, and now it is all I can write with. That's crazy because you used to be like a precise V V5 guy, right? Yes, that is correct. All right, good. I remember things like that. All right, Megan, Rodney, what about you? Um, I am a cheap cheap cheapo and I really like these blue Bic pens which Beth Reimer is relentless about making fun of me for but it's got to be blue and it's got to be a Bic. You're in good company Megan Rodney because I look things up like this like who writes with what and uh, John Stewart writes with a oh. plain Bic pen according to the unreliable internet source that I use. Anyway. <laughs> I feel vindicated. <laughs> All right good. Uh, so who are your writing mentors? And it could be a mentor text, it could be a person. Um, let's, who, just give me a thumbs up if you'd like to go first, because I know this one takes a little bit of thought. And if you need me to stall for time, I can talk a little bit. Who are your writing mentors? For me, I think it's probably Beth Reimer. Uh, I don't think I was a writer as a teacher until I started learning from her. Uh, Megan Moore, what about you? Um, so as a teacher of writing, my biggest writing mentor is probably Penny Kittle, her book right beside them, like blew my mind. It totally reinvigorated my classroom and helped me understand the way um, students come to learn how to write. Um, but I think in terms of more personal writing, um, one of my biggest writing mentors is David Sedaris. I love how he can make um, the tragic or the dark very funny. Um, I love the way he's able to create wonderful narratives out of his life. Um, and so that's kind of where I find most of my inspiration. That's perfect. Megan Rodney, what about you? Um, so I am inspired by several of like really standard, just like really strong go-to mentors like Ralph Fletcher. Um, Matt Glover um, really changed my life in terms of planning with his Projecting Possibilities book. Um, I love the blogs to writing teachers and moving writers because even though they might be from across the spectrum, one thing that OWP really strongly believes in is that writers learn or teachers learn from each other K-12. So I pick up tips and strategies regardless. And then as a writer myself, um, Katie Camillo um, is an absolutely beautiful writer. And my daughter said last year when they were reading The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane, she said, Mom, I don't understand how Kate does it. And I said, what's that? And she said, write a book that is so full of sadness and so full of hope all at the same time. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're nine. Like, <laughs> what? And I was blown away and like a little misty because like, you know, we all want our own children to like feel that way about books. But if I could write like that, um, that's someone I would absolutely aspire to, to write in the style of. Beautiful. Dave, what about you? Who are your writing mentors? 
So if it goes to teacher, I completely agree with you, like you said about Beth. But uh, I always go back to Katie Wood Ray as well. I just, whenever I'm lost or, or I feel like I'm lost, I always head back uh, to stuff that she's written. Uh, as far as authors that I am enjoying, it's always changing. And I am currently on a huge picture book kick for the about last two years. And I just love Dan Santat books. Mm. They are awesome. The best. All right, we're in our final two questions. And the last one's kind of a gimme. Um, why OWP was the hashtag a year or two ago? Uh, so I thought that would be a fitting question to include in every podcast. Why do you think, why do you recommend OWP to people? Um, let's start with Megan Rodney, since you're a coach with OWP. Um, so I would say uh, it changed my life in all kinds of ways. It changed me as a professional. It changed me as a teacher. It changed me as a person. Um, it taught me how to give myself and others grace. It taught me um, how to view things from multiple perspectives. I can be pretty inflexible and stubborn. And I would say ODBP really helped me work through that as a teacher and as a person. But then above anything else, the thing I love the most about OWP is that it honors teachers as professionals and trusts them and knows that they are experts in their classroom and that they are intentional decision makers and that they have their students at their center of all the decisions they make. And I don't think that in our current climate that that happens very often. And so I love that OWP holds tight to that and can always lift teachers up. Um, and that I think is what keeps me coming back to OWP, whether I was a coach or not. Right on. Megan Moore, how about you? Oh, I was nodding so vigorously with everything Megan Radney said. Um, I sometimes wonder if I would still be teaching a little bit if I didn't have OWP. It just made it all work for, for me. And I don't mean that, that everything's perfect every day because we know it is not. Um, but it made it manageable. Um, so I love the Ohio Writing Project because it, at the end of the day, it honors people's stories. And I don't know if you can teach anyone anything if you don't honor who they are as a person and what they bring to the table. Um, I love that the Ohio Writing Project is able to support teachers who are kindergarten teachers and teachers who are 12th grade teachers. Um, and I often find that I get most of my best ideas or most of my best aha moments come from teachers that I'm interacting with who don't teach sophomore and senior English like they just see something different and it makes me understand what I'm supposed to be doing a little bit better um and I think I I just I love the Ohio Writing Project for a, really one of the biggest reasons Megan said is it honors teachers voices it's so easy for us to feel small um and that we're just one teacher in one room um and that we're not experts in our field but the Ohio Writing Project tells us time and time again you are the expert you're the one doing the groundwork and your voice is important hi Dave Finish us off with this question. Why OWP? So I, I taught you asked me this question last time we did a podcast. Too. Yeah, I did. But it was why, why Octella last time. So oh, that's right. Yeah, that, that is it. Uh, but same thing. Um, and Megan kind of touched on this. What she just said. Like sometimes it's lonely. You shut that door and you're in a classroom by yourself. And OWP, I like getting together and just hearing these ideas and knowing that you're not alone, that there's people who think like you, who want to do this work and they want to do it well. And I just, there's never been someone at OWP who, who didn't want to better themselves. And you just see that out of people. And, and I love that there's people who are willing to get in and work really hard. And 
those people help me and that's why it's OWP. Right on. So where, if people wanted to bug you to ask you more questions, where would they be able to find you? Uh, Megan, Ronnie, how about you? Where could people find you if they want to bug you or bring you into their school or any of those things? So they can find me on Twitter. I'm um, Megan underscore Rodney. Um, I'm also available via email and that's easy. It's Megan Rodney, all one word, at miamioh.edu. Those are probably the two best places. All right. Megan Moore, can people get in touch with you if they want to ask you more questions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a bit of a silent bird. I don't have a Twitter, um, but I'm <laughs> um, so my email address is more, M-O-O-R-E hyphen M-E at troy.k12.oh.us. So I'd love to help any, anyone in any way that I can. So you can contact me there. And Dave, what about you? Uh, I am on Twitter at, at HireAGM, although I mostly just stalk people on Twitter and steal good <laughs> ideas from people. Uh, of course, you could always email me. It is tar, T-A-R-R, dot David at LebanonSchools.org. Well, there you have it, listeners. I want to make sure that I thank David, Megan, Megan, and of course, as always, Beth, for their time and for their wisdom as we tackled or attempted to tackle this huge topic of how to plan and what to cut and what to keep in our instruction. Now, listener, if you want to keep up with what's going on at OWP, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at OWPMU. You could Google the Ohio Writing Project. Please make sure that you find out all that you can because there's so much going on and there are so many opportunities to learn. Above all, we want to thank you for tuning in to Write Answers, an Ohio Writing Project podcast.